What's going on, guys? Welcome to the episode. Today, I have Ken G on the show. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. Absolute pleasure. So I want to start off the podcast the same way I start off all my podcasts, which is a bit of an introduction of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Sure. So <clears throat> my name is Ken Gee. I'm the managing member at KRI Partners here. And uh, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. I've uh, got my undergrad University of Toledo. <clears throat> Moved to Cleveland uh, while pursuing my uh, my degree, my uh, master's at Case Western Reserve. I was a commercial lender for five years. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, finished that up and then uh, became a CPA and uh, went to Deloitte. I don't know if you've heard of Deloitte, one of the big accounting firms. Spent seven years there in the tax department. And it was then that I got into real estate. Um, it was... Uh, the story is a little, you know, kind of interesting. I'll try to be brief, but uh, it was about three in the morning with my daughter. Uh, well, my kids were very young then. Uh, I'm not as, I, I'm quite a bit older now. But uh, my daughter, it was the middle of the night. She was an infant. We were doing her feeding. I was. And uh, I loved it because it was time I got to spend with her. Everybody else was sleeping. Um, and uh, it was cool, right? It was good father-daughter bonding time. The problem was, after a few nights, I started realizing, wait a minute, this is, wait, what's wrong with this picture? It's three in the morning, and this is my quality time with my daughter. I'm like, man, this is, I, I didn't, I didn't, this is not what I thought would happen to my life. And mm -hmm. uh, I just, that just got me thinking. I'm like, man, how, how, how am I going to figure out how to create the life I want? How to, you know, be able to make enough money that I can put them through school without, you know, tons of debt, all those things that really go through your mind as you're a young parent. And I said, you know what? I, I got to fix this. This, I, I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to school, got degrees, did good in school, got a good job. And here I am still not. I, and I just didn't see a path. I didn't see a path to where I wanted to go. So I said, all right, I'm going to fix this. I get into real estate. I spent a lot of time and energy trying to figure out the multifamily world, which back then it wasn't that easy to do, right? There weren't podcasts and seminars and, you know, everywhere you turn now, you can learn YouTube. Didn't exist back then, or if it did, I didn't know about it. And so uh, it took me a while, but over a three-year period, I saw, or I bought three small apartment communities. Each one was less than 30 units. And uh, three years later, what happened just is is what the game changer was for me. And that is I sold those buildings all at the same time, coincidentally, and I made half a million bucks. I was like, oh my God, I, it was like life-changing for me. I thought, wait a minute. Half a million ducks. I, I I mean, I've never in my life had that much money in my bank account. And I thought, man, if I can do this on the side while we're still working at Deloitte, right? Working a lot as a CPA, imagine what I could do if I actually committed all my time and energy to this thing. And, uh, you know, before uh, when I was, you know, in my daughter's room then in the middle of the night, I didn't have a plan. I, I, I realized I needed one. I kind of came up with one and I thought, all right, I think this is going to work. But then three years later, I proved it and it did work. And I'm, you know, I'm here to tell you that, you know, 25 years later, we have, you know, we, uh, this is all I do now. Uh, and we have helped literally hundreds of investors uh, do the same thing that I did uh, back in, uh, in the late nineties. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Um, it, it's, uh, it's why I'll never go back to, to doing anything else. Well, that's interesting because uh Three or four, three or four multifamily units is like on the surface. You think that's hard to get financing for, right? Like, I mean, like it's kind of mind-boggling. 
Now, I mean, I know the answer to it and I know how that happens, but on the surface, it really sounds complicated. So what was the process? I mean, because look, you're working at Deloitte and I'm sure your salary was great, but considering how much those things cost, I'm sure it wasn't, I, I'm sure you weren't making like $2 million a year and buying a no. million dollar apartment, no. right? So how did the financing work in that? Yeah, you know that nobody's ever asked me that question. And that is, I remember early on in my career thinking, remember, I, I spent five years as a commercial lender. So I knew how banks functioned, right? I didn't, I wasn't on the real estate side, though. I was doing all commercial stuff. So I'm looking for businesses that have cash flow and owners that have lots of net worth and lots of income. But I, I thought, who, who, who the heck is going to loan me all this money? I mean, who would be out of their mind? They would have to be out of their mind to do that. Because there's no way I could repay that loan if I needed to. But here's the thing. When you buy multifamily real estate, it generates cash flow. That cash flow is what pays down the loan. And the banks understand that. So they underwrite the apartment building as a business that generates cash flow, because it does. And that cash flow is what you use to make your mortgage payment. It doesn't come from me personally out of my wallet. Now, they do look to me if things go bad. So when they when they underwrite these deals, they're going to look at the property itself and the neighborhood and the tenants and say, okay, yeah, this thing's stable. It's running. There's enough money. Should be enough money left over to pay the mortgage. <clears throat> but if all else fails, let's look at Ken. Does he seem like a smart enough guy to be able to figure this out? And that they they actually underwrite you as a as a you know a manager. And then you do have to have some net worth. Um, you know, I my first deal I deal with my in-laws. Um you know, there's no way I had enough net worth to to support it. Um, but you know, they were looking at me as in the in the underwriting world, in the real estate world, or in the the debt world. They call it primary source of repayment, which was the building cash flow, and the secondary source was me. And uh, you know, they really weren't relying on me uh, to do it. So that's how they underwrote it. I, it it's interesting. I mean, you're that's so insightful that you asked that question because for the first several years of my career. I just kept thinking, no one's going to loan me this much money. Like, what am I doing? This, is, I mean, I'm going to go do all this work, and no one's going to loan me the money. But that's not true. I mean, that I mean, the last loan I think we took out was thirty-five million dollars or something. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? They're not looking to me to pay it back. They're looking for the property to pay it back. So, really insightful question. I'm glad you asked it. Yeah, yeah. So it's obvious that I've been in the business, eh? <laughs> yes, sir. So no, yeah. no one has thought to ask that question. And that's cool because it was a stress point for me early on. I just couldn't believe it. I'm just shaking my head like, wow, really? They're going to loan me this money. They're going to trust me. And it works. It works. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating as well. It's just, uh, and to me, it's mind boggling, right? I get it. Okay. So if it's the building is what it's getting loaned on, the, the performance of the building. Mm -hmm. Why is it for your personal one that matters too? I mean, they have the building too, but the answer is we're not in the real estate business. So I'm like going, okay, but you're not on the other side either. So it's just, I found yeah. it fascinating the first time I came across it. So, yeah. so early <laughs> um, on, everything we did was recourse, right? Full recourse. They were going to take my my house, my car, my kid, my wife, everything would be gone if, if I defaulted on that loan. Now we don't do anything recourse. I don't think there's a lot of recourse debt out there now, but I could be wrong. I, I just haven't played in that market in so long, but everything we do is non-recourse. Makes sense. So where are you at now? Like how many buildings are you at currently? Yeah. So we manage uh, right now about 1800. We own uh, probably five or 600, something like that. Over the years, I think we've done like 18 deals. Uh, we're a value-add investment firm. So what we do is we go right. in, 
We add our value, we move the rent, we lease some for the next guy, and then we sell the asset. So we've never been accumulators of units. Um, we like to turn them, right? And our investors like that too, because they get they get to see the profit within three to five years, and then they get to figure out whether or not they want to continue to to you know stay in the real estate business, and they usually do. But um, yeah, so probably eighteen deals. I think over the life, our senior management team has probably managed like 17,000 units. So we've been at it for a while. I didn't say we own that money, but many, but you know, every every property you manage, you'll learn a ton from. Yeah, for sure. There's always uh, changes, changes in legislation, changes in uh, rents, changes in policies, changes in even in uh, acquisitions. Uh, things are always adjusting, especially even with the mortgage rates and, uh, you know, and mortgage rates changes the outcome as well. And which is why it's interesting right now, because if we notice the mortgage rates are sort of like all over the place, we're raising it, but we're lowering fixed rates, but we're raising everything else. And then, no, we're going to raise that again. And then it's like, uh, are we raising it? Are we leaving it? Are we doing, what are we doing? Don't know if I should buy it. Don't know if I should wait. Don't know if I should go. It's like, hmm. <laughs> Now is a good time to be disciplined buyer. I mean, actually, all the time, we're always disciplined. And and actually, when you really think about it, when cap rates were really low and rates were really low, that was the ultimate time to be disciplined. And unfortunately, most people don't think like that. They they just don't. Like, everything's awesome. What do I got to be so disciplined for? Um, but if you're not, things turn against you. So uh, as long as you're disciplined in this business, you'll be fine. Yeah. And that's where I was going with it, right? Like it's one of those things, real estate really is the long game. And the only way to win in real estate is great. Flipping is good if you can do it, but you have to have a contingency where if you buy, just say you buy a piece of property for $2 million and then all of a sudden the interest rates hikes of the last year happen and that property is worth 1.5, even with some uh, renovations, mm -hmm. it's not going to hit the 2 million you paid. So what ends up happening is you have to be able to still close and still maintain the property until the rebound is there. And if you're banking yeah. everything on renovating and selling and making your profit and being out in less than a year or you're in trouble, then you're in trouble. Yeah, less than a year is a bit tough. That That's a bit tight. But what we do do, the discipline part of our underwriting model, is that we insist that we have massive upside. So we won't even look at something unless there's at least 300 a month in upside. And so what that, I mean, again, I go back to being disciplined, that increased cash flow is the reason that none of our properties are in trouble. Because as our interest expense went up, our cash flow more than offset that. So yeah, we got some cap rate expansion, but our cash flow way more than offset that. So we're actually not upside down in anything. So I'm thrilled to report that. And it's because of that. You know, if you're going in for a hundred bucks an upside a month in rents, man, that's not enough. But if you're looking at three, four, five hundred bucks and you're sure that you can get that and you do, you're, you know, you're you're in a good position. One hundred percent. And that's exactly the point. Right. And that's why real estate is long term and nothing changes the numbers. The numbers is which like too many people I find from my own experience is they're buying things based on emotion. Right. Like, and and it's like, that's not the way to look at real estate. I get it. You're like granite counters, but what's the ROI? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? So no, you got to, you got to know the numbers here. Cause it is, I mean, to think about it, real estate, multifamily real estate is valued based on its ability to generate cash flow. If you don't understand how you're going to move that cash flow, that's all numbers. If you don't understand that you're really, 
I mean, you're just playing roulette. I mean, you just are. And, uh, you know, wish you luck. That's why you get to know your numbers. And a lot of people, you're right. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. They just assume true. that everything else will take care of itself. And it oftentimes doesn't. Now, look, someone wanting to get into the business, right? Like they want to start their journey. Like they hear this podcast. They love your story. They want to get into this industry as well. But they're not really sure how, because yeah. every time they look at it, they can't figure out how the numbers work. So they're in a sense an experience which we all started there mm-hmm. what would your be what would your recommendations be to that person yeah this i get this question a lot uh on the ground every day because people do want to get in and have our success and and i'm you know as i've grown older in life i really do want to help people get started because it's it's life changing so number one thing is you got to learn you got to learn as much as you possibly can Take the seminars, go take the courses, do do whatever it is to understand how to to how this business works. Now, even though you've done that, that's not enough. You need to then be willing to do the hard work and underwrite deal after deal after deal after deal until it starts to make sense. Because until you're actually doing something, it's not you think you understand it, you think you know it, but then when you go down and do it, you're like, oh wait a minute, I don't, I didn't understand this quite the way I thought I did. So number two is don't be afraid to do the work. And the last thing, and this is this is the one thing that is your true backstop. If at all possible, try to find a way to partner with somebody with experience. Because here's the problem. As you're learning, as you're going through and doing all this hard work, when you're new at anything, there's so many things you don't even know you don't know. There's no way you could possibly be prepared for it because you don't even know to, that you don't know it. The experienced person, they do know it. Because they've been around the block. They've been in it hopefully 10, 15, 20 years. They have seen many of these things that you don't even know you don't know. And so they're going to go a long way to keep you out of trouble and help you learn the ropes the right way, the safe way, hopefully. So that that's what I think people, that's as I've thought about how to get people in this business, that seems, I always come back to those three steps. And if you do that, I feel like you'll be successful. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, a lot of times, you know, working with other people and, you know, there's joint ventures and stuff like that. There's like many ways to uh, invest in real estate. Like one is the joint venture thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question comes in, how do you know your money is safe? And where do you like, because there's a lot of scams out there and there's a lot of successes out there. And how do you determine who to joint venture with and who to be wary? Like, what are some of the things they should look out for? Yeah, so we raise money. Um, There's another man. You're hitting all the right questions today. Uh, this because this is really I'm really passionate about this topic. Um, you, you know what a syndicator is, right? The guy that goes out, yep. finds a deal, then raises the money. We've done a lot of those. We've moved to the fund model, so we go raise the money first, and then we go buy the deal. Makes us a much better buyer. But people have to figure out: Is Ken Gee and KRI Partners are we the real deal? Are they good? So I've come up with four rules as I've helped people through this process over the last so many years, number one, I want them to make sure that they partner with somebody with experience because experience matters. It just does. And it's so obvious, but it's obvious because, or it's so important because think about it. Do we know there was a pandemic coming? No. Did we know we we're going to have hyperinflation? No. Did we know about any of these things? No. You need to have a senior management team there that has been around the block and can figure out how to deal with whatever's coming next because we just don't know what it is. So experience, track record. You know, I said we've done 18 deals. Our full track record is out on Verivest uh, to to see. 
and fully vetted so you can see that uh, our, our numbers are what they are. Somebody else looked at them. So you want to have a long track record because that kind of plays into experience. Then I want you to make sure that whoever you're investing with puts investors first. This one's a little trickier because you got to read the PPM and you got to figure out what's in there. And really what you, the, the best way I can simplify it is bring it back to one question. Is it possible for that sponsor to do well and you as the investor not do well? That shouldn't be, right? And if you can find a way that they can do better, do really well and you not, then don't invest with them because they're not putting you first. And the last thing I would say is transparency. And that's super important. I mean, you know, we, we're we very communicative. You should be able to call the, the firm's office and get somebody that actually knows what's going on, not somebody that's just going to give you a generic answer. Quarterly, we give out P&L, balance sheet, rent roll, and a whole narrative about what's going on at each property that we have that they've invested in so that they know exactly what's going on. So I feel like uh, those four rules are ex important. Experience, track record, make sure they put the investor first, and make sure they're transparent. If you follow those, I mean, you can't, you're not going to, I can't create a perfect scenario for you as a potential investor. But boy, that seems like it stacks the odds in your favor, right? Because all those things just kind of make sense. And it keeps you away from investing with people that really don't know what they're doing. And that's what worries me because, you know, this whole private, you know, equity market that is that was has been growing up since the Jobs Act. I mean, it's an awesome way for investors to have incredible returns. And it allows firms like us to grow and have access to capital without going through the whole IPO process. So I really want to protect this whole thing. And that's why I'm I'm always out, you know, beating my fist on the table about these four rules, because if you follow them, it's going to be harder to get scammed. Yeah, exactly. Now here with KRI Partners, how does how like how does the organization work? I mean, because you raise funding, like how how do you work with the investors? Like, well, what is the exact breakdown? Yeah, so typically uh, we we function just like a private equity firm. So we generally uh, our investors are think of them as silent partners, right? They're limited partners. Think of them that way. They give us their money, and we give them a return in exchange. We do all the work, so it's good for them. Now, can we do joint ventures with other operating type partners? We can. Absolutely. We do that sometimes, uh, but most of the capital that we raise, is, it comes in in the form of pa true passive investing. And so, you know, in the last three deals, we returned like 22% annual return, 30% annual return, 36% annual return. So what happens when you're able to generate those kind of returns for investors, they keep coming back because those are great returns, right? I mean, you know, there's no guarantee but we work really hard to try because we know what we're doing. We work really hard to try to make sure we get awesome returns for our investors because that allows them to be successful and us to be successful at the same time. Love that. Absolutely love that. Now, with my own research and my own uh, experience of seeing things in the industry, mm -hmm. what I've noticed is there's different setups out there. And I'm not going to mention names on the ones I'm about to bring up, but okay. give you an example where you have, you know, companies where they raise funding, just where you said they raise funding, people invest as passive income. Now I'll give you an example. Just say the mortgage is 50%. Um, so we'll take a $2 million thing because I just apparently you seem to like that number today. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we'll take 2 million. So they need to raise 1 million and have a million dollar mortgage. Now what they do is they raise the 1 million mm -hmm. and a person um, 
will will uh, just say some one one investor puts in five hundred thousand. So that's twenty five percent of the property, but it's actually fifty percent of the down payment. Mm-hmm. Now some people are set up where the raise money they'll take the twenty five percent. That investor gets twenty five percent, and just say there's two people because I don't want to get into deep numbers. Yeah. So there's two people, mm-hmm. half a million, 500 and 500. So that's a million. You got your down payment. So it's 25%, 25%. So that's 50%. Of that down payment was a hundred percent funded basically. Um, but now there's uh so with the percentage of that, like when they sell, like, for what am I trying to say here? Oh, so here's where I'm going. Now, prime, prime example, just say the uh, cash flows uh, $9,000 for e- a month for ease and easy math. Mm-hmm. So with that that being said, that means uh, nine thousand dollars, and pretend there's no expenses, and that's all yeah, profit. Yeah. Okay. So the cash flow would be three thousand dollars per person. Three thousand dollars for investor one. Three thousand dollars for investor two. Three thousand dollars for the company. So and in, in essence, there's a three a divide by three. Now what ends up happening is, and this is where I've seen, and this is the part that I found intriguing, and 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 I've seen different instances for different companies. Now say that two million dollars. As a building gets sold for four million dollars, it's not the same three-way split. What I find found is that they get twenty-five percent, twenty-five percent, and the last fifty percent that company keeps. As an example, yeah. now there's different ways to run that, and there's different. Yeah, ways that's, to- a lot. that's a pretty rough one. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Um, so let let me tell you, one of the rules that I have is that we put investors first. Right, you need. Investors need to invest with people that put them first. So let me give you an example about how our fund functions so it'll help you because what we do is vastly different than what you just described. So the first thing is you give us our money, you get the first 6%. That's called a preferred return, okay? <laughs> Assuming you get your 6%, then we uh, and we return all your capital, right? So you get all your money back and a 6% preferred return, right? The sponsor is not getting anything yet except for the return on their capital that they put in, right? But no bonus, nothing yet. After the return of capital and the preferred return, now we're an 80-20 split on the profits. Okay. That's fair. Because now you got your money back. Now you got your preferred return. And look, if all we earned in total out of that property was a 6% profit, do I deserve a bonus? No, that's terrible. That's horrible, right? I don't deserve a bonus. And in that case, I wouldn't get one. But if we do better than 6%, then we split it 80-20. And that is fair, right? Because that's that's why we do what we do. That's why real estate, private equity firms do what they do. Because if the property or if the investment is successful, they get a little bonus, right? But not too much, right? You don't you you shouldn't be piggish about it. And some are. I know what you're just what you described as, whoo, that was rough. I mean, that's really rough. Um, I, I couldn't imagine trying to sell that to an investor. It just doesn't seem fair to me. But I do think it's fair that if you get your if you get your money back, then we have an 80-20 split. Everybody's happy. That's that's how we answer that question. Is it possible for the firm to do well and you not as the investor? And the answer to that question in my scenario is no, it's not. Because you're getting your first six and then we split an 80-20. Yeah. I'm assuming you get the 80, they get the 20. No. Opposite. Yes. They get there 80, we go. We get 20. Oh no, that would be horrible. No, that right. would be horrible. <laughs> But this That'll is be very, point. very unfair. Yeah. Yeah. And this is my point, right? And like my scenario on how they, they sell it is they sell it at the 6%, you know, invest $100,000 with me and I guarantee you'll get 
That's fine and dandy. In the 10 years they hold the property, they got their 6% every single time. They got their percentage every single time. Problem is 10 years, the thing gets sold for 10 times the amount or double, double the original purchase price, you know, and what ends up happening is the person gets back a fraction. They get, you know, it's like, even if they get back 6%, they go, wait a minute, my money got was the down payment, but I only got a small percentage back. Like all they really earned was the 6%, maybe with another 6% bonus. And they're going, yeah. You know, and, and you see a lot of people who are billionaires, well, they're billionaires and trillionaires and whatever, because the investors got 6%, they took the paid off amount. They basically have nothing in the beginning. When they sell the building and it's doubled, they take the double and the investor gets the percentage of the original percentage back. So the guy got free money for managing it for 10 years. Um, and I'm not saying that's not a model that, again, it works as a, in a way because the look if you go into a bank you're getting three percent or two percent if you're lucky. I mean two or three percent if you're lucky. You're not really getting that much. So yes, you're making more than a bank is. But it's funny because you're put when you're investing in it, you're investing ten percent, and you think I own ten percent. No, no, you you, you got ten percent. It yeah, like it's, yeah, and, and that's why. I mean, and again, everybody has different platforms. And why I was bringing this up is to showcase the importance that of reading the fine print and understanding how the breakdown works. Now, yeah. somebody might be fine with that because they're still getting, I'm getting, I put in 25% and I'm getting 25% of the sale. I'm okay with that. Some people are okay with that, but you should know what you're getting into. Yeah. Not get the check and go, oh, okay, this is good. How did I get to that? And go, mm, I don't know. You should yeah. know how you got it. Yeah. In our world, when we talk to investors, yeah, the 6% is nice, but that's not why you're really here. You're really here for the upside. That's the real deal, right? I When I told you I delivered 36% annual return, well, part of that was 6%. Most of that was not from the cash flow. It was from the sale. Exactly. It, that That's the bit. That's, that's why everybody's here. That's why everybody's in this business because you're basically leveraging your returns through the smart use of debt, right? We don't go 90% debt, we go 60% debt and we're still able to get incredible returns. So yeah, good point. The point, the, the way for your listeners to protect themselves is to read the private placement memorandum and then take it to their attorney. If they don't understand it, then their attorney or financial planner will help them understand what the terms are. Makes total sense. Yeah. So now, with your transition, I mean, it's funny because you went to work for Deloitte, and Deloitte is a big uh, company where I'm, where I am as well. Yeah, and yeah. it's interesting how you were able to right away just say, "Hey, you know what? I'm in the position that we were all taught, you know, to grow up, go to school, get a good education, to get that good job, and yeah. you got the good job, and then you got into the reality and going, well, wait a minute, what I had in my mind and what I'm actually living are not the same. No, you so, just." Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're dead on right. Yeah. And then so the and then question you, is, how did I make that tr transition or? Well, I was going to say, like, it was good for you to recognize that. Yeah. But a lot of people recognize it and just complain about it and do nothing about it. You took action. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But there were, there were, there must have been some hesitation there. Like, what were some of the fears that you went through before oh taking the leap? There were tons of fears. Remember why, when you asked me the question, what should people do when they're getting started? The last thing I talked about was having a partnering with somebody with experience. I, at my very first deal, I paid an attorney 3000 bucks. This is back in 1996. I mean, this is a long time ago. And I did that because he owned 4,000 units. And I felt like if he told me, yes, I blessed this deal, you're going to be okay. 
because he had experience as an owner. He had experience as an attorney. It kind of, I felt like I was getting some validation, right? I paid for that validation. But even still then, I'm telling you, I talk about this all the time. I still felt like I had a golf ball in my throat when I signed on that mortgage. Because I knew if I screwed this up, it was everything. It was everything. I mean, it was really stressful, right? Now, if you partner with somebody with experience, that golf ball is not going to be a golf ball. Hopefully, it's going to be the size of a pea in your throat and not a golf ball, right? I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. not exaggerating when I tell you that that stress was that high for me. And uh, there's no reason to go through that now. So it is tough to make the transition. A lot of people... Uh, I believe people getting their own, they get in their own way because they don't believe they can do it. They don't see what life can be like. And I was one of those people until I just said, you know what, that, that night in my daughter's room, I'm like, man, I can't, this is not cool. I don't want this. I don't want this. To, I don't want this. I got to fix it. I got to figure it out. And I did. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you can take these risks and you still have time to recover. You don't appreciate that then because any kind of failure at that point in your life, you're just like, it's, it will be overwhelming. Now I'd, I'd risk it all again. Cause now I have confidence that I didn't have back then. And that's what I think it is. I think people need the knowledge. That's why I want you to learn. People need the confidence that comes from learning. And then you got to do the hard work. If you do the hard work and figure it out and actually go through the process, it, it, it just, it's it, all of a sudden you're going to be like, damn, I can do this. There's no difference between me and Ken. He, he is no smarter than me. Uh, there's no reason I can't do what he's doing. And you just go for it. It's getting your head to believe that getting out of your own way. I call it. Yeah, exactly. So with that being said, what does your future look like right now? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's awesome. I have to tell you, I mean, we're, we're doing well. Um, you know, I'm, I did put my kids through school. I'm glad to tell you without any <laughs> debt. So that was good. Um, you know, I, I really don't have to work anymore now. What's happened is as I've gotten older, in the beginning, it was all about me, me, me. As I've gotten older, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, it has to be about me. And yes, I want to make money. <clears throat> but it was, it's far more rewarding than I understood it would be to help people get started. So that's the future. I mean, we're going to continue to raise money and buy deals and do deals. But I really make a concerted effort to be that person that you can partner with that has experience. If you're one of those people that will do the hard work and take the time to learn, I'd love to, you know, it'll it'll serve my purpose because I get to maybe be in a market that I'm not in now and I get to partner with somebody who's not afraid to work. That's the key, though. You got to be willing to do that work. So that's the future for me is to just continue to grow and to help new people get into this business because it is life changing. Absolutely. So final question before I go into what I call the lightning round is how do you know you've had a successful day? How do I know when I've had a successful day? Well, when I've been in control of my day, right? When I've decided what I want, not, not every day is perfect, okay? Sometimes I get pulled into things I don't, I prefer not to and so on. But for the most part, if I if I go home at the end of the day and say, you know what? I did things that I wanted to accomplish today. That feels successful to me, right? And then I get to, of course, have some time with my family. That matters to me as well. Absolutely makes sense. So after the lightning round, question number one is gonna be, what is your favorite food? What is my favorite food? My favorite food is probably, well, it used to be steak. I'd probably say it's it's uh, some sort of chicken dish. I do enjoy eating chicken. Uh, so I would probably say that. Wonderful. Uh, favorite vacation? Oh, by far, a cruise. 
there's so many things you can do on cruise ships. It's it's crazy. We love to cruise. That's amazing. Yeah, I haven't done it myself, but I mean, like, oh, I used you to love to. boats when I was younger. So yeah, no, you need to. You need to. You'll never be bored on a on a ship. Fantastic. Now, favorite podcast or book? <laughs> favorite podcast or book? So I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I don't. I mean, they all they contribute equally. I learned a lot. Um, favorite book? You know, probably the most recent book that I've read that really just. In, it, it is what I am, and it's uh, Cardone's uh, 10x book, 10x yeah. rule, or whatever, 10x something. Uh, I mean, that whole concept is consistent with the way I live. So that's probably my favorite book. I love it. That's a great book. So last and final question, but not least, <laughs> if you had unlimited amount of money and 48 hours to spend it, you get to keep what you spend or or whatever you do that stays what's not spent gets taken away what would you do today if i had to spend that money today i would spend it on educating myself and and other members of my family Fantastic. i know that's a weird answer but i think it's important because again my life changed because i got out of my own way i figured it out i learned something that i didn't understand before and uh, that's the number one thing that I see hold people back. So I, I would spend an unlimited amount of money educating myself and my family. That's amazing, right? I, I asked that question because if you somebody says, oh, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do? Um, a lot of people would say, oh, I'd buy a Ferrari, I'd buy a Lamborghini, I'd buy whatever, okay. or I'd pay off my mortgage. And the reality is, it's almost coming out as if they're telling you what they think they should say, not what they really want, right? Yeah. When, when you take out the actual dollar value, and you present it the way I did, you get yeah, what they really want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Ken, this has been phenomenal. A great show. I want to thank you for being on it and uh, truly yes. honored and blessed to have you. Well, thanks so much for having me, John. I really appreciate it.